0: Well, welcome to the Bill Bennett podcast. It's the Bill Bennett Show. We translate Donald Trump. Remember him? Oh, that's not
1: fair. <laughs> no, that's he is the
0: fair. President of the United States, and maybe he'll serve a second term. I'm I'm telling you, you know what I believe. I've told you before. I think it was stolen. Not sure it can be proven. Certainly doesn't seem to be able to be proved in a court of law. Not so far, anyway. We take a look at the current administration. We address the existential threats to America. We are watching the so-called President-elect, Joe Biden, Um and, you know, the odds are he will take the reins, much uh, as it makes me unhappy and think it's unfair. We will see. We're going to evaluate that uh, s- whole situation with two very smart observers of the Washington mm-hmm. scene. Ari Fleischer, uh, who was the press secretary for President George W. Bush, uh, and our friend Byron York.
1: Who's been really busy.
0: Yeah, he's been everywhere. So we're we're lucky to get these two guys. Ari is uh, a Fox News contributor, uh, and he runs Ari Fleischer Communications. And he has a special relationship to the college football playoff. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> no, I don't. that's really the reason he's here. No, not I'm kidding. Uh, we'll get his insights in the election and where we are now. He also has a new book project he's working on called Broken. It's not out yet, so don't try to buy it. Right. But uh, we'll find out what it's about. Uh, general subject mainstream media in the Donald Trump era and beyond. We'll also catch up with Byron York, columnist at the Washington Examiner and Fox News contributor. And as you said, he has been everywhere. I'd like to discuss a couple of things first. We got an interesting email about our show
1: with uh, Brian and Joel Farkas, Brian Kennedy. Yeah, so uh, Mark Hendrickson uh, emailed in and the title is What Happens Next? Yeah. And so he says, I just finished listening to your latest podcast and was very surprised that you and Brian Kennedy asked the most important question. Uh, And, of course, that question is, what happens next? Um, He said, what happens next if the next president is the first illegitimate president? He said, I I was not surprised that you asked the question, but only was surprised that you were the first to recognize that that is the question here um uh so again he wasn't surprised that you asked the question just the fact that you're the only one who's actually uh talking about that uh that you were the first to recognize that is the question not whether the election was stolen or how it was accomplished uh, when elections no longer matter when the results uh are viewed by a majority of the citizens as being stolen when the consent of the governed uh the principle upon which the revolution was fought what happens Elections uh, have always been viewed and believed to be the pressure-relief valve, uh, valve for the passions that drive politics. The arguments are made and the results are accepted, and the time spent until the next election uh, is used to, pers- used to persuade again. We are now faced with, as a result of the past four years of bad faith, tyranny, and propaganda, a stolen election, and many who uh, no longer are willing to accept the results unless it is their preferred result. Uh, Basically, can the Constitution survive when those in power are the enemies of the Constitution that all federal officials swear an oath to defend against?
0: We'll see. Mm -hmm. I think so. But there is some very, you know, interesting, troubling, disturbing, uh, not surprising talk about uh, secession. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secession. I mean, that can't happen. We can't do that. Um, You know, they may rename the schools in San Francisco, take down Abe Lincoln's name which is ridiculous Mm -hmm. but you know the union here we got to preserve the union but um, I understand the impulse you know people in South Carolina and North Carolina where we live don't want to be governed by Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer Mm -hmm. just the way it is worlds apart views of the world apart policy views worlds apart Uh, on a a more prosaic level what will happen let's see who gets control of the Senate Mm -hmm. that's being settled in Georgia But um, let's assume that Republicans control the Senate. You've got a narrow majority for the Democrats in the House. You've got tensions in the Democrat Party between Biden and his advisors and um, various pressure groups. That's what happens when you play to all the pressure groups. You know, Donald Trump, whatever you think of him, did not yield to any of them, took them all on, whether it was Big Pharma or Big Oil or whoever. Very important that the court remain strong and from my point of view as a conservative remain a conservative court Uh because if you have republican control of the senate but democrats have the house and the presidency he's going to have a hard time president biden to be maybe to be um governing and, and putting his policies into place with the block that will be represented by the republican senate so he'll try to do executive orders And you may recall, I think the audience will recall, a lot of executive orders that President Trump put into place were upended by the courts Mm -hmm. before Justice Amy Coney Barrett came in. You have a conservative court, they may do the same thing to President-elect Biden. So we'll see about that. But the question really, I I think, I mean, the test will be trying to stuff down the throats of 74 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump policies, which are really inimical. Mm Mm-hmm them things they really don't believe in and we'll see about that we'll just see we'll explore this with our guests too you are smart
1: guys. Go ahead. Yeah, Mark went on to say he agreed with exactly what you said. I don't think that the answer is either succession or balkanization. Uh, That was not uh, the option for Lincoln uh, to to contain the tyranny uh, to a portion of the country. The entire USA and all citizens have a right to liberty and to live in a civilized society under the Constitution and the limited government it guarantees. The Democrats only uh, seek power and control, uh, tyranny. They will settle for anarchy. Uh, they have been working to undermine the foundations of the, our government, the Constitution. Uh, they've promised uh, uh, to abrogate uh, many, if not all, the rights uh, not granted in the Bill of Rights. Um, he says, uh, "Yeah, how can we not view them as the enemy?" Looks forward to hearing your thoughts. And so just you just
0: coercion. We'll see how much coercion co- occurs under this administration. I mean, I, and I've been watching a lot of things. There's so much going on, but watching the uh, the thumb. Mm -hmm. pressing down on these restaurant owners, particularly on outside dining. Right. When there is no evidence that it uh, spreads COVID, there's really very little evidence that indoor dining, I don't know if you saw the numbers, but 77% of COVID cases come out of homes, Mm -hmm. houses, Mm -hmm. family gatherings, uh, and, of course, the nursing homes.
1: Well, and then when right down the street from, you know, a small business or from a restaurant, you've got the big box stores that sell way more than essential items. And they're allowed to sell those items when the, you know, they, you know the, the small business owner has to shut down. And the other guys don't. Yeah, uh, no, they they
0: sell wine openers, and,
1: you know, and uh, yeah, and toys. Absolutely, yeah. And then the small
0: guys can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Supreme Court just ruled for the churches in New York. I, I saw, that. You saw that. saw mm-hmm. that uh because uh, i heard the lawyer for uh, i think it was catholic church catholic diocese say um you know we just don't see the point of a law that allows for a walmart or a big uh, big box store mm-hmm. for people to gather in large numbers but not a church right um and, and you know this kind of thing can go on can continue and if if joe biden wants a rebellion on his hands i don't know if it's a rebellion that you know, taking up arms and all that. I, I don't think so. He'll, he'll issue more coercive orders
1: mm-hmm. and people will react. That's that's back to the importance of the court. Right. Uh, one more uh, a thought an email from our buddy, Doug Giuliano And the reason I want to get this in is because he says, I'm sorry to comment so much and email the show. Which, by the way, Don, you never email the show too much. You no, no, that's right, right. He says, but my wife is tired of listening to me complain, so I turn to the show. Good. Turns turns good. Yeah, well, we, don't, we, we don't get tired of your complaints. The two things of course, we say. don't live with you. Either. Exactly. So we don't have to hear it as much as this. Yeah, right, yeah. Well, who knows? Wonderful. You might get on our nerves if you lived with us. <laughs> right. He says, number one, the mainstream media has begun the process of taking Biden out. And you had just talked about this a few moments ago. Uh, Of course, they will wait to go uh, full bore until after January 20th. uh, But we all know he's just a front for the left to get Harris into office. He believes Biden uh, will resign within one year due to his uh, his and his family's Mm -hmm. corruption. Uh, Biden will, of course, say it's health and that's causing him to leave office and he wants to spend more time with his family. Uh, number two, he says the Supreme Court rules that states must allow abortions, gay marriages, and rewrites the flawed Obamacare law, but refuses to correct election fraud under Article 2. We are watching the death of this republic in real time. Oh, I hope not.
0: I mean, I, I understand that matters are serious, and I, I understand his perspective. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if the plan is was to get Trump, one, and then, two, get Biden out. Biden is, is not steady. I mean, I... I Latest thing is he's announcing these cabinet members. He doesn't know their names. <laughs> right? He just right. Does, doesn't know their names and uh, fumbles around. Um, he may take himself out. I, I don't know, but um, he's got a lot of people mad at him. He's got a lot of the left left mad at him. So we'll see. But uh, we will see. Uh, we're back to where we started mm-hmm. this conversation a couple of minutes ago. What's next? Don't know. Stay tuned. We'll be here.
1: The fact that he's got so many in the far left mad at him is why I don't know if the plan was to get him in just to get him out however i think the it's one thing to that to be the the aggressive or the intentional plan It's another thing for that to be kind of the passive we're okay with it we'll we permit it because the likelihood of of, of president elect joe biden to go 4 years i don't know i mean it's imagine him in two more i don't know
0: well if they ta- again if they're taking the temperature
1: of the country Let's just put the vote for the president
0: aside, since you all know how I feel about that. I think it was stolen. You know, if, if Republicans hold the Senate, they gain a lot of seats in the House. Mm-hmm. Democrats have to look at that and say, this is not a left-wing country. Whatever you think, even if you think Biden won with 77 million or 78 million, the president had 74 or 75 mm-hmm. a lot of people. It's not, you don't want to take off 74 75 million people. Uh, but I, 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 I what happens after Trump leaves i don 't know, and one of the questions I want to ask Ari mm-hmm. is uh, how much of this animosity and left wing stuff in the press is personal? Does it change after Trump leaves?
1: You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Show.
0: Joining us now is former White House Press Secretary for President George W. Bush, and Fox News contributor, and a really smart guy, Ari Fleischer. Ari, thank you for joining us today.
2: Good morning, Mr. Secretary. How are you? I'm doing great. How you been?
0: Good, good. Been watching you, learning from you. You've been really good, really strong.
2: Well, I miss you. I, I miss our wise guys.
0: I know, I, I do too. We're gonna we're gonna get it back once I th- they really want to do it in person. They don't want to do Hollywood Squares, you know, Zoom. <laughs> right. I don't know. Has the world changed? Or is going to be this way for a long time? Just uh, you know, we don't travel and we don't meet in places. We just uh, is Zoom become the the way of doing business.
2: Damn not for me. I'm traveling. I'm, Are you? I'm in Texas right now. I'll be in Arizona in a couple of days. Yep. i okay. get tested twice a week, and I'm living my life.
0: Well, good for you. Good for you. Uh, which reminds me, if you're in Texas, that me that's my first question. You anywhere near the college football playoffs uh, situation?
2: That's why I'm here. That's why you're there. Okay. I'm here, for, okay. Uh, yeah. I'm here for, the, for the college football playoff selection committee meeting.
0: You can't uh, comment on the merits, I guess, can you?
2: No, I cannot. I am not a spokesman for the group. You should be on the
0: committee. Yes, I should be on the committee. I made that <laughs> suggestion to oh, someone I knew.
1: Let's not start this again.
0: <laughs> yeah, Ari's wondering why he was asked on. Now he knows. All right. Okay, never, this is a
1: lobbying phone call. It's
0: huh? not lobbying. No, no, not really. Okay, let's let's get to uh, broken. That's is that the working title of the book that you're writing now?
2: Correct.
0: Well, who's broken? The media.
2: The media is broken. Uh, how, I am convinced of it. How much, uh, of, the, how media, much
0: of the media? How much? 90 percent? 80 percent? 95.
2: You know, what's broken the press is at one time for decades they were liberal. And we all struggled with that. Republicans had to work twice as hard as Democrats just to get to the same starting point. Yep. But now it's a cultural divide, Bill. What you really have now is college-educated Democrats writing for college-educated Democrats. There is a Pew poll that showed the only group in America that believes that the press understands them are college-educated Democrats. High school-educated Democrats don't think the press understands them. Republicans of no stripe think the press understands them. The only group that thinks they can relate to their lives and understand them are college-educated Democrats.
0: Well, how, I, how much of this I, – I, mean, I was going to put this off for a while, but let me just get to it right away. How much of this is Trump-driven? It preceded Trump. Trump has put the accent and the punctuation mark on it. Okay. But there's been a
2: cultural change inside newsrooms and journalism schools that has really accelerated in the last 20 years. And that cultural change is people are no longer going to journalism to be objective. They're going to journalism to tell a story. And it's their story. It's a democratic story. It's a liberal story. It's a college-educated point of view of the world story. And that's why I'm so concerned that the shift in journalism has moved from ideology to culture. And once something takes root in our culture, it is really hard to root out. And that's why you see such lopsided balance, put your finger on the scale journalism against Donald Trump, against conservatives, against Republicans, against pro lifers, against rural people. There's just hardly any storytelling that matches that point of view.
0: There's this, I, I couldn't agree with you more about the culture. And as you know, that's where I've lived most of my life. Yeah. The guy who introduced me at my first uh, Senate confirmation hearing, Daniel Patrick Moynihan wrote once, uh, culture is more important than politics. Politics flows Absolutely. from culture. Politics can right. affect culture. It can affect culture. I think Donald Trump has affected culture, certainly the culture of the people support him. But culture is, more, culture is more important. And the universities have a large role here, right? Massive role. I mean, what you basically have are college-educated
2: Democrat voting students being taught by college-educated Democrat voting teachers. And it's a perpetual cycle. Let let me tell you two quick stories. Please. In in the late 90s, I was communications director at Ways and Means Committee, and a group of students from Columbia Journalism School were in Washington for a week of training on how journalism works and met with all kinds of sources and reporters, and they met with me as the spokesman for Ways and Means. At the end of my talk, I said to them, just curious, in the '96 election, how many of you voted for Bob Dole, and how many of you voted for Bill Clinton? There are 12 people in the room. I said, Clinton first, and 11 hands went up. I said, so... Only one of you voted for Bob Dole. And the 12th guy in the room said, no, I voted for Ralph Nader. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, flash forward to 2020. And I was invited again to this time in Columbia, uh, in New York City, at Columbia Journalism School. And I asked the same question. I said to these students. 20 years later in the 2016 election how many of you voted for Hillary Clinton how many voted for Donald Trump every single hand in the room went up for Hillary Clinton oh
0: my goodness and
2: journalism has an original sin it's original sin are The people who go into journalism, who go to journalism schools and become the next generations of reporters, are all voting the same way. They see life the same way. They're cut from the same ideological cloth. And reporters and newsrooms and editors value diversity. They talk about newsrooms that look like America, which they mean black, white, gay, great Hispanic Indian they measure it that way they could, they don't measure it in terms of ideology and that's what's killing journalism they are too lopsided from the start and until journalism changes who becomes a journalist journalism will never change
0: i want i want to talk i want to talk about that till journalism changes and, and what might bring that about but let's explore that more, more more deeply what you just said i i've run into it my, myself course and i remember there were surveys i don't know if there have been any lately you would know better than i how like the washington press corps or the, the new york press corps votes the actual working press not students but it, it pretty much comes out the same way uh of the, the the surveys the informal surveys you did right i mean they they vote to the degree that they'll tell us uh very much to the left
2: there's documented okay. history of that. In fact, the New York Times reported that a number of years ago that they did an informal poll of journalists and it it came out uh this was during the Bush Kerry race. Um I think it was a 10 to 1 or 12 to 1 ratio
0: of Kerry to Bush. Okay. Uh in my field, one of my fields, philosophy, uh it's it's been said that every uh every philosopher since was a footnote to Plato, this gigantic uh, figure. Okay. I I always thought that the figures of and they became sort of mythical and iconic figures at the same time, Woodward and Bernstein became the kind of lodestar or north star for a lot of journalism students and journalists themselves. That's the model. uh, Who's going to be the next Woodward and Bernstein? Is that fair? Correct.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure that's still the model. Yeah, because they don't remember.
0: They're too too young, right? Exactly, yeah.
2: I I think their model now is, fighting for social justice on campuses. And it's the same thinking that you see on campuses where speakers get shut down because some views should not be told, uh, that if you question whether or not our society is systemically racist, there's something wrong with you. And this is where journalists think their job now is to deride those who have different views and not to be objective and seek to understand different views. This is a younger generation of journalists who are entering J school and then become journalists and take over newsrooms. Look at the rebellion at the New York Times after Tom Cotton had an op-ed that the New York Times headline, send in the troops. And the op-ed editor of the New York Times and the editorial page editor lost their jobs because of the newsroom rebellion that could not... Stand to have that viewpoint put into print they claimed that their lives were in danger because an op-ed got published and it led to the firing of people at the story new york times uh, journalism newsrooms have become college
0: campuses and that's the problem i read that a lot of people don't believe the media from what you said earlier i am guessing you're saying that's right except the uh, College-educated Democrats believe it. They're writing to them. They are college-educated Democrats, and they're writing to college-educated Democrats. But but, But a lot of Americans don't believe them. But... This, this bias uh, that, that you're describing has consequences, does it not? Massive consequences, because the people
2: want to know, where can I go to get the facts, Where can I go to get the truth? And it creates this terrible frustration when people don't think they can get anywhere. And it really leads to Balkanization, where the left gets it from the left, the right gets it from the right, and there's very little understanding about the middle or what's true. Yeah. Look, in, in 1976, according to Gallup, 72% of the American people, had a great deal or fair amount of trust and confidence that the mass media will report the news fully, accurately, and fairly. In other words, they'll tell us what's happening. 72% used to believe that. Now it's only 41%. Mm-hmm. Less than a majority of the American people think that the media report the news fully accurately and fairly now there's a partisan breakdown of that only 15 percent of republicans think the media tells the news fully accurately and fairly only 36 percent of independent but 69 percent of the
0: democrats mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the problem what's the, the the money side of this um i remember reading an analogy but maybe it's connected because many of the same people that you know when hollywood does these kind of big uh, pro-america movies um, even some of these religious movies, they make the most money. And when they do a lot of these left-wing movies, they don't make a lot of money, but they do it anyway because money isn't the point. Is, is, there, is there less revenue when the New York Times uh, ceases to be the Grey Lady?
2: Well, no, there's actually a lot of revenue for the New York Times, but it comes now not from what used to be advertised, where advertisers wanted to sell products to all Americans. There are hardly any advertisements in the New York Times anymore. So they had to find their revenue from somewhere. And that somewhere has become subscribers. And subscribers will ditch you if you tell news that they don't want to hear. And so that's the problem the New York Times had. And uh, Jill Abramson used to be the top editor at the New York Times. She wrote a book. And in her book, she wrote, listen listen to this. Every time I hear Donald Trump tweet about the failing New York Times or use the shop warrant or sober fake news, I also hear the ka-ching of the so-called Trump bump which has helped kick the New York Times digital subscriptions above 2 million since the election, a revenue stream that's critical to support its reporting staff at current levels. In other words, the people who are giving the New York Times the lifeline that it needs to pay its reporters, these subscribers, they're doing it in opposition to Trump. So it puts the Times in a terrible position where they can't really tell news that might be accurate because they're going to lose subscribers. It has direct revenue consequences. You know, I do note the New York Times has not yet covered the Alex, Eric Swalwell story about being infiltrated by a Chinese spy. Right. They gave scant coverage to the Hunter Biden story. Of course, they gave it no coverage prior to the election. And they're the paper that wrote the leading story about how Tara Reid's accusations against Joe Biden were false.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, wouldn't wouldn't there be uh, j- just money wouldn't there be more money i mean uh, uh, you know addition rather than subtraction if you wrote for a larger audience or would you lose the audience you have now if you included the audience which maybe isn't uh, so liberal
2: Yeah, this is where technology has played a
0: huge role, and we've seen this throughout society.
2: The ability now of people to shop for the news they want and to have niche reporting has really led to a revenue model of tell the left what the left wants to hear, tell the right what the right wants to hear, and don't play it down the middle. If you play it down the middle, there is no middle, and you're not going to have any revenue, and that's what led CNN to become a mini-MSNBC. Yeah, Uh, Fox News, frankly, discovered that formula when they got created. Yeah. To Roger Ailes' credit, he recognized the networks are all liberal, yeah. telling liberal stories. But there was nowhere else to go because of technology. They had the advertisers. They had everything. Ailes it. created Fox. Fox, fair and balanced, told the story just from a more little bit of a more right-wing perspective. became tremendously successful. And that's the revenue model. That's the business
0: model. Yeah, yeah, okay. But look at the heat that Fox is taking from the right. Uh, justified or not, we won't get into that, for not being sufficiently behind President Trump's challenges uh, and for its reporting the night of the election. So I am, Which, I am hearing anecdotally, I don't know if it's true, tons of people are flocking to further, uh, more conservative outlets like Newsmax and network
2: And that proves my point about the economic value of finding your niche. Yeah. And that's why I said 95% of journalism is hurting because of this. Now, I happen to think Fox, particularly their daytime shows, and Brett Bear show at 6 o'clock are the most fair shows in news. Far share, far more fair than CNN's daytime shows yeah. or MSNBC. Yeah. Everybody knows the nighttime shows are opinion shows, and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but when you want to just know what is going on, you know, I, I believe Brett Baer's six o'clock show is the best news show in news.
0: There have got to be. This is kind of a psychological question. Uh, you know the you know the media, you know the people. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of my career in the classroom, and when I was teaching at Boston University, Ari in the in the in the seventies, um, I, I remember you know looking for sometimes in vain for a conservative student or two you know, to voice <laughs> to voice a dissonant opinion. Alan Dershowitz, who was my teacher at Harvard Law School, said, I always like to call on you because you tended to have a different view than almost everybody else. Um, he once said that I was the smartest uh, conservative student he ever had. And I said, first of all, small small track. Small field, and second of all, I heard you say the same thing about Ted Cruz. So you say that to all the girls, you know? Stop it. Anyway, anyway, you know, I I I caught a minute, but I remember looking for such students, you know, in the seventies at Boston University. So don't, aren't there some kids? I'm thinking of your your Columbia survey, who uh, who go to because they're kind of tough-minded and independent. Where are the mavericks? Where? Where's the kid who will stand up and say, ah, I'm not buying that. No, come on. Let's be fair here. Or do they just get smothered? They just get hammered, hammered down. Who is the guy? Uh, I can't think of his name, but I think he runs The Intercept, the guy who lives in South sure, America. Yeah. What's yeah, his name? Glenn Greenwald. Yeah, I was going to say that. He's a, he's a left-wing guy, right, by disposition? I think, what, absolutely. But I, I think what's happening
2: is they are getting smothered. When, when you look at the New York Times, for example, Barry Weiss, who was brought on to that contrarian in the newsroom got drummed out. You know, culturally, it's really hard to be that voice in there. If you say to a newsroom that America had a racist legacy, that we were had we had a civil war over slavery, then we had a hundred years of Jim Crow, and we're still living with the legacy of that, but I don't think America is systemically racist. You will get drummed out of that newsroom. You must practice the orthodoxy. You must say the words. Otherwise, there's something wrong with you. And that's why Barry Weiss, among the reasons she left the New York Times. And what's happening now is there's no safe home to be a conservative or a contrarian in those newsrooms, particularly at the major papers. You, you culturally get silenced. And so a few brave reporters are now using Substack and other independent media to do their own reporting and charge people to subscribe to their columns. Um, Glenn Greenwald, formerly of The Intercept, is doing it. Um, uh, Matt Pilebi, formerly of Rolling Stone, he's doing it. And I'm tracking their success. They're now becoming one-man bands. Cheryl Atkinson is trying Uh It's hard, though, because you don't have the infrastructure around you. You just really now become basically a columnist and you see if your ideas are interesting enough that people read you. But that's what a couple independent minded, mostly liberal, but maverick thinking, willing to write tough stories about Joe Biden where it gets suppressed in their own newsroom. So they go independent because they think journalism should be without fear or favor. They're old school in a new economy. And
0: it's worth tracking. Yeah, I I guess I just wonder, I'm just wondering out loud, it's not a question, but you thought about this. You know, the the doctors say, you know, do first do no harm. You know, in philosophy class, we said, you know, uh, open inquiry to, to the truth in the media, it's got to be similar, right? The facts. Tell the facts. What are the facts? Tell the truth. That's that's what they claim, but the revenue model doesn't hold that up. I mean, I take a look at the Hunter
2: Biden story from the New York Post prior to the election. Was it what are the facts? Could this be true? We know he was on the board of Burisma and he got a lot of money. Let's dig. No. The New York Times wrote a story about how there was somebody anonymous at the New York Post who questioned the story. That was their coverage of it To denounce the New York Post. Big media, high t- uh, the tech companies suppressed the story, shut down the Twitter page of the New York Post, and reporters happily bought into the line that this was Russian information, disinformation. And now we find out, it is true about Hunter Biden is under criminal investigation. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Now we see. So,
2: no. The bigger dynamic is to tell the slice what the slice wants to hear, and to use the power of objective journalism to they, announce those who have views that are different.
0: Then you're then you're trading your birthright for a mess of pottage. Is that it, Claude? The Bible. <laughs> uh,
2: well, there, there's there's the way I frame it is that when you know they're broken
0: broken and that's your book and that's your book yeah. it's the first time i've interviewed an author about a book that's what a year and a half away <laughs> <laughs> i mean we can start talking about it now for are pre-orders possible <laughs> i'm having so much fun writing
2: this book I'll, I'll tell you every day i find new examples new things to include in there um interestingly i have a few people inside some of the media companies who want to talk to me and uh there's so much to work with
0: yeah you know uh, t- tell me this uh, do you, uh i get i think you already answered it because you said it was an exclamation point uh donald trump but but a f- friend of mine said M- maybe maybe they'll be better once trump leaves you know they, they hated trump so much the media the main media maybe once he leaves they'll be better that that's question a Question B is: Are they gonna ever give Biden a hard time? Not so far. Well,
2: on the first one, they're not gonna let the whole Trump leave. Okay. I I predict the CNN and MSNBCs, whose business model is based on beating up Donald Trump, will elevate every everything Donald Trump does yeah. uh, after he leaves office. Yeah. Every tweet he makes, they're gonna say Trump's gonna run a primary against somebody. Trump came out against that spending bill. Trump threatened this person. They're going to keep him in the news every day because that's their best boogeyman storyline. As for Biden, it's a great open question. I really am curious to see what's going to happen with this Hunter Biden story. But my biggest fear is what the mainstream media will do, again, because of their subscriber-based readership, is I call it touch-and-go journalism, or one-and-done. They'll dutifully cover a major announcement Hunter Biden acknowledges under criminal investigation. They touched on it, but it certainly wasn't defeat and frenzy. It certainly didn't drive all their coverage. It didn't lead to follow-on stories day after day after day reporting any new nugget that fed the storyline the way they did for collusion for three years, even though that turned out to be false, they'll be touch-and-go journalism because they can't feed in frenzy about it the way they used to. If they do, they will lose their subscriber base. Won't, the that make, cash will won't that make... reverse
0: Ari, won't that make journalism or news, what we're watching on TV, what we're reading, less exciting? I mean, I, you know, it was, it was an auto crash every day, car crash every day last four years, but I mean, if they're just sort of touching the surface and not digging in in the way that they should, um, won't people turn off the TV and stop by in the paper?
2: Yeah. I mean, Donald Trump has been great for the journalism industry.
0: He has
2: made CFOs great again. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But without him being there, I do predict that their readership and their viewership is going to decline across the board. I think that's going to be true for Fox and conservative media. Definitely true for liberal media. We'll get a bit of a bump about Biden's stories because conservatives won't want to hear and read the pro Biden stories. Liberals will. But I think it won't compare to the Trump era. And so the economics is going to be threatened. Trump helped save them.
0: You've been very generous, very smart, very helpful. I knew you'd be all three. Last question. I remember during the um, Bill Clinton thing, um, Monica Lewinsky and all that, I was on a lot because I wrote a book called The Death of Outrage, which was number one. James Carville's book was number two. I just wanted to point that out to you in case you (laughs) want want to bring that up sometime in conversation, although we traded a little bit back and forth. But there you were. I mean, we were speaking to our respective audiences. Uh, I predicted – this is a nugget for you. It Might be useful that when it was all over, he and I would go around the country and have debates. We'd be invited by universities to have debates. Never happened, not a single time, because universities weren't interested. In, on the one hand, and on the other hand, he got invited to the universities. I got invited to Christian colleges and universities, uh, and thus the divide, the cultural divide. We've, we've been we've been uh, we've, we've been talking about. But sure, look look, look at the panels yeah. on.
2: See, look at the panels on TV shows.
0: It, it used to be yeah.
2: a conservative and a liberal. Crossfire, all those old shows. Yep. And now it's it was Hannity and Combs, right? Now it's yep. Sean. Yeah. The media has realized if you're going to play your niche, play to your niche. And that means a liberal show does not want to have a conservative guest <laughs> to paint the ears of its audience and vice versa. All I-
0: right. I ran into Marie Harf, you know, who she is. She's a Democrat liberal woman. She's a Fox News contributor. She's she's off and on. And, and I saw her. And I said hello to her. She said, oh, I know you don't like me. I said, no, I, I don't dislike you at all. I said, I, I understand where you are. I said, you're, you're there on some of those panels to be the pinata, you know, to get beat up by everybody else on the panel. I sympathize because I used to be on such panels at CNN. You're right. You know, I was brought in. Here he is. Here's a big guy. Let's just beat the crap out of, him. you know. And, but, you know, I will
2: say, in Fox, there are a lot more prominent liberals.
0: Yes, you're right. have an
2: actual, meaningful role. You're right. And there are only a few. And then most of the Republicans that they have on CNN are there to denounce Donald Trump. No, that's you know, right. The people they hire are Anna Navarro and anti-Trump Republicans. Uh, and then the few real conservative pro-Trump Republicans that there are there, they put them on the shelf. They put them on headline news. They don't put them on main CNN. You'll
0: hey, seldom you. see them on Anderson Cooper. You're absolutely right. I'm sure you get calls and, and, and emails. I do, too, saying, you know, I, I love seeing you. But, God, I can't stand Juan Williams. I can't stand you know, Donna Brazile. I I still, this is good. This is good. I don't I don't agree with it either, usually. But this is a good thing that, that Fox is doing, right? Uh, and, did it much, and doing it much more than CNN. You're absolutely right about that.
2: Yeah, liberal heads will explode. But the fact is, Fox is far more fair.
0: Yeah. yeah. Does anybody talk to you? I started by talking about the Clinton era, and then I got off on the wrong track. But in the Clinton era, I was on a lot because I had written this book and Carverly had written the book. I remember sitting in green rooms at CNN with the people who I was going on with before and after, and then sometimes after they'd say, oh, you're right, you're absolutely right. The guy's a scoundrel. He should be impeached. He should be thrown out. He should resign. It's not what they said on TV. You know journalists. You're closer to more of them than I am. I wouldn't ask for any names, but do any of them say to you, "Oh, all right, you're absolutely right. It's a mess. There's nothing I can do about it, and I got to keep my job." But all right, you are right. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There is.
2: There, there, there is a lot. I, I think particularly the print writers miss the old days. They, they miss true down the middle objectivity, and mm-hmm. they will tell you that Trump has caused the problem, though. And my response to them is, your job is to rise up, mm-hmm. no matter how roughly you're treated, and tell the news straight, yeah. because. If you're tilting the news because Trump is so bad to you and mean to you and rough on you, does that also mean you'll tilt the news if somebody's really nice to you and good to you? That's the problem. If you're going to be down the middle, be down the middle.
0: What should we do? What what can we do to fix it? Is there anything we can do to fix it? Roger Ailes has a solution to liberal monopoly, but how how do you fix this one?
2: The solution that I see is some enlightened newsroom one day is going to realize we need to bring conservative voices into our newsroom, welcome them hear them, and therefore shape our news in a way that is more accurate and reflective of society. And until they do that, they'll stay in a liberal bubble, and they'll just report for the niches. But their issue is not that they're enemies of the people. They're their own worst enemy. They don't have a filter anymore that filters out wrong information, because they want to believe it's true, such as the story about Donald Trump Jr. getting the WikiLeaks uh, email that WikiLeaks was going to release the anti-Hillary emails, and Donald Trump Jr. was told about it before WikiLeaks Released it. CNN and CBS reported that news.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, that was a false story, too. It got fed to them by a Democratic source on the Hill. Where was a conservative voice in the newsroom that could say, wait a minute, have you actually seen the documentation for this? Or are you just taking it from a Democrat source? The reason that went on the air is because the, the CNN wanted it to be true. Now, if you had a newsroom that had more fair minded people in it, more of an ideological myth, CNN wouldn't have made that embarrassing mistake. So the solution I see is. If you want diversity, have ideological diversity. Change up your newsrooms. And if you don't do that, journalism is going to continue to go down this hole of niche journalism where objectivity and truth are secondary to profits and storytelling.
0: Thank you, Ari Fleischer. Very good, really. Very, very good. Very interesting, informative. We all look forward to the book. And, uh, you know, you're one of those guys I have the TV on all the time. I usually have the volume off, but when you come on, I always want to hear what you have to say. You always have something good to say. Thank you, Ari, very much.
2: Yeah, you're a gentleman. It's always great to be
0: with you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org.
1: You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show.
0: Let's welcome Byron York to the show. Byron is a columnist at The Washington Examiner and Fox News contributor. Hi, Byron dr bennett how are you i'm fine you're in more homes this season than santa claus <laughs> you you are everywhere uh and it's good well, to see i'm you. just trying to make a living yeah every day yeah all right i got a bunch of questions for you but they're all the same uh what's next now what happens <laughs> now what happens and let's go through the categories is this election presidential election over
3: yes i think so i think that Uh, I think a lot of people were looking toward December the 14th when the Electoral College met as kind of the the day that the the serious legal challenges, uh, the door would basically close on any new serious legal challenges. And the Electoral College met and uh voted as the states had voted, and uh, Joe Biden was declared president. The next step is on January 6th, um, when Congress meets to ratify the results of the Ele- Electoral College. Now, you've heard uh, about Representative Mo Brooks from Alabama saying he's going to try to disrupt that or protest or stop that. And, you know, many of the kind of usual suspects have declared this an assault on democracy. Um But in fact, uh, first of all, it won't work. And the reason we know it won't work is Democrats tried exactly the same thing on January the 6th, 2017, when Congress met to ratify the results of the Electoral College and Donald Trump's victory as president. uh, A number of Democrats, I think there were seven in all, uh, from the House, rose and tried to stop the ratification of the results from several states. And uh, presiding over it all, by the way, was the vice president at the time, Joe Biden, uh, who ruled them out of order because they, uh, while they were members of the House, they needed the uh, approval of a member of the Senate to go forward.
0: And none of them had that. I think the election was stolen. Um, I don't know why the courts, none of the courts have taken this up. But there are just too many inexplicable things. These late night tranches, and and I've been reading and digging in and digging in and dig, digging in, and they're saying, well, you know, the you know the late night tranches were you know overwhelmingly mail in ballots, and the mail in ballots were overwhelmingly Democrat, mm-hmm. but no one, to my mind, has satisfactorily responded to the fact that that the tranches in some cases weren't fifty two forty eight or fifty five forty five or even sixty forty or sixty five thirty five, they were ninety two to eight. Do I have this right or wrong?
3: Yeah. So which, what to you, what are the two or three biggest, uh, most suggestive episodes that you would point to?
0: I'm not sure I have the, have the states right. But uh, stopping the counting, one. Two, uh-huh. uh, these tranches which had been going 52, 48, 53, 47, yeah. one way or the other. Then all of a sudden swing to 85 or 90. The other. Second, third, bellwether counties. Which as I understand. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know this stuff better than I do. Were overwhelmingly indicating a a a Trump a Trump victory. I mean, there are more. Well, there are more. A, a,
3: a few things. Um, I think in general, the legal challenges that Trump and his allies—remember, Trump hasn't filed all these lawsuits. Some of them are lawyers filing them on his behalf. Uh, the City Powell and the Linwood cases, for example. I think there's a, a couple of things. One, with many of them, there has been an enormous disconnect between the injury that was alleged and the remedy that was suggested. Uh, there was a there was a suit, for example, in Pennsylvania that that they put a lot of hope in, which had two citizens who said they were not allowed to fix their mail-in ballot when they had made a mistake on it, while other voters in the state were allowed to fix their ballots. And they sued, I think, seven counties in Pennsylvania, neither of, none of which were the county where these two guys actually voted in. And the judge said, well, you know, these, these guys have suffered an injury. Their ballot was discarded. It was not counted. But the remedy to that injury is not... To uh, throw out the certification of the election in Pennsylvania, so there was there's a a, a problem there, and that's happened in a, a number of states, and I think certainly in the Texas uh, lawsuit. While it was, I, I always thought the Texas lawsuit had kind of a too clever by half yeah. yeah. um, feeling about it, and you know, if I may admit my ignorance. I did not know that you have a law degree um, from Harvard, correct? Yes. Okay. So we're going to you're going to be kind of a legal expert here. No. Um anyway, so I think there was this big gap. Now there was then then the 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 thing that I think is most most suggestive or most suspicious is what happened at the State Farm Arena in Atlanta um with the Fulton County Election Board and in which uh it it appears that a lot of the counters and observers were told to go home about 10:30 at night on election night. Uh because this counting was going to stop. So they leave and then the surveillance video, meaning just the ordinary building yep. surveillance video, yep. shows them appearing to bring more ballots in and keep counting through the night. So I think that's, um, in, in the I, there were explanations given for that, which I could have accepted had they not conflicted with what the board was saying at the time. Um, so, for example, the board was saying they had sent people at the time that they had sent people home. And then later, when this became controversial, they said, no, no, we never sent anybody home. Uh, So I thought, well, wait a minute, that doesn't match up. So, listen, I think there are incidents that clearly need to be um, investigated about this. I don't think and have never thought that they add up to changing the election results in at least three states. And remember to when, Trump would need Arizona, Georgia, and Pennsylvania or Arizona, Georgia, and Michigan. I mean, something really, really big.
0: Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin is 41,000 total.
3: Yeah, but that gets you to, I think that only gets you to 269. Um, we'll let our, uh, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but Trump was at 232, right? Okay. Okay. And so he needed to get to 270. And uh, Arizona, uh, Georgia, and Pennsylvania gets you over 270. Arizona, Georgia, and Michigan gets you, Michigan gets you over 270. But I think Arizona, uh, Georgia, and Wisconsin only gets you to 269, which is a tie. So then, you know. Katie barred the door. So, um, so anyway, it takes three states for him to to do. It. I just didn't think and have not thought that um, that he had um, enough examples to do that. There was one other thing that we, which I don't think has gotten enough public notice. But I, I threw it in a newsletter uh, the other day. Um, why don't we, why why doesn't a conservative philanthropist create some sort of institute to study this election? Elections uh, <laughs> yield mounds. Of data, um, they yield. You know, the, the, all the all the envelopes in Georgia, for example, have to be preserved. I think for nearly two years, they're still there. The paper ballots, all this stuff can be looked at, uh, and I think it's especially important given the fact that this uh, election was so crazy and historic, and included, you know, um, uh, an exponential increase in mail-in votes that are at the base of a lot of the questions people have. So um, I really think that uh, a large private study yes. of this election that's not conducted by some openly leftist group would be a good idea.
0: You don't. This not a question about what what you believe about the election. It's a question about people. You you don't believe, do you? Or, or correct me if I'm wrong. That people who believe this thing was stolen are, are crazy. Do you?
3: No, absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. A lot of people were very. Suspicious about it, and listen. When I um, I wrote, gosh, it was about a month ago, I think. I wrote that you know things were not looking good for Trump, uh, and a lot of people said, "You just wait, you just wait." And then I did write a piece um, on the Friday night that the Texas lawsuit uh, that the Supreme Court denied it, um, and said that it's time for Trump to stop because that was a Friday night, and on Monday. The Electoral College would uh, would meet to to cast its votes. So uh, I do think it's over. Uh, I don't think people who question this stuff are crazy. I do think that most of the cases have not presented yeah. uh, enough evidence to change three states. And um, the last thing is uh, a lot of the the uh, argument in in this is people saying, you know, there's just no way this could happen. It's just statistical anomaly argument. Um, and so far, we haven't really gotten past that to showing um, that it actually did happen. And one last thing, I'll say one last thing, which is that I thought uh, Sidney Powell's uh, Hugo Chavez stuff did not do the president no, that's right. any good. That's right. And I think Lynn Wood's yeah, um, urging people in Georgia not to vote yep. in the runoff for the U.S. Senate, saying we're not going to vote in your damn machines made in China. I think it's just disastrous, yes. and uh, it shows that maybe these people do not have the president, certainly the Republican Party's best uh, interest at heart.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I agree with that. So let's again back to the the one question. And now, what happens? Will the people yep. who nurse these views and beliefs um continue to will some of this uh be diminished? Will the air of resistance, if you will uh and and rebellion and secession, as even talked about, diminish if Republicans are able to hold the house of uh, the Senate
3: well uh, putting aside the secession stuff, which I thought was just way overheated. Um, I, I think maybe all of these things will happen. I, look, people people who uh, feel passionately about this are not going to change their mind. Um, so, and also Donald Trump himself will be around to kind of to make sure that they don't. I yeah. think he'll yeah. take a pretty high profile yeah. Yeah. Uh, after the uh, election, which we can talk about that later. But I, I think that could really Cause trouble in the Republican presidential selection process yes, for twenty twenty four. But anyway, well. people—they're uh, not going to not going to forget this. But I have to tell you, as far as resisting or trying to undermine the Biden administration, um, my feeling about this: let's let's say you had no questions at all about the validity of Joe Biden's election. Okay, no questions at all. You would you could still be filled with rage at the degree to which the Democratic Party and their allies in the media and some of the Republican Party tried to undermine the presidency of Donald Trump from before he was even inaugurated. This long effort, which is what my book, Obsession, available for holiday purchase, is about, this long effort to remove President Trump from office, beginning before he even took office, uh, kind of running on parallel tracks between Congress and a special counsel's office. Uh, this daily onslaught Absolutely. of negative Absolutely. news Absolutely. in which news organizations threw their standards, their earlier standards, out the window oh, yeah. to adopt, um, to, to put on newscasts filled with anger and snark and attitude every single day, 24-7. Uh, Democrats even impeaching the president in the hopes of damaging him so much that he could not be reelected. And Al Green, uh, Representative Al Green from Texas, one of the pioneers of impeachment, he uh, introduced the first articles of impeachment in 2017 when Trump was first president, basically said that he was afraid that if Trump wasn't impeached, then he would be reelected. So, uh, you know, and, and... we know that the, the Biden, the Obama Biden administration was spying on figures in Trump world. Um, we know that the intelligence and law enforcement agencies, uh, essentially tried to frame people in Trump world. They, they made the most damaging leaks possible. They made, made leaks, uh, like of, of, of U.S. National security intercepts that were just unthinkable. They did that. They did everything to try to undermine and destroy this presidency. So if some Republicans are trying to undermine and destroy the Biden presidency, maybe I don't approve of it, but I sure understand it. And uh, I would not be at all surprised if there's some effort like that, although they will have none of the encouragement and daily megaphoning that took place in the press during 2017,
0: 2018, and 2019.
3: Just so, a quick question. We That's my speech. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, it's an excellent speech. Uh, I'd be curious because we just finished talking to R.A. Fleischer, and you know what he's about and what he's been saying. I said, well, perhaps yeah. some of this bias and and uh, you know broken, is his word, uh, this position of the press change after Trump leaves. And he said he won't leave. They won't let him leave. Uh, you know, you, you just said they were after him before he became president. Yeah. They're going to be after him. After he leaves presidency, right? He'll still be the what well, Justice Holmes called the, the brooding omnipresence out there. He'll still be the yeah. villain. He won't be central well, I mean, screen, but all, he'll be right there.
3: Yeah. First of all, he's going to want attention, so I mean, he'll be putting himself sure. into the news. Sure. Um But uh, and then second, there are there will, there will be institutional uh, crusades against him, mostly from the the Manhattan uh, excuse me, yeah, from the Manhattan District Attorney, yeah, from the New York State Attorney General, yeah, um, maybe from the Southern District of New York, the federal prosecutors there. So there'll be these legal crusades against him. But uh, as far as the press is concerned, remember Trump always said, you know, you need me, you need me, your ratings, you need me for your ratings. He called himself a ratings machine. And for uh, for listeners who who go back a ways, many years ago, during the O.J. Simpson case, uh, the Simpson case ran for more than a year in 1994, 1995, from the double murder all the way through Simpson's acquittal. And the cable TV world, which at the time was mostly CNN and CNBC, just talked about it all the time. I mean, the trial, which was riveting. I mean, it was absolutely riveting. And the trial just consumed America for a long time. And it was a huge event on the day of the verdict. And then people, then you thought, well, what are they going to talk about now? And what they did was they just kept talking about O.J. for a long time after the trial. So I I have to think, I mean, what is Nicole Wallace on MSNBC going to do? I mean, is she going to talk about Biden's capital gains proposal? Um, I have to think that these people who who found much more prominence and position and wealth as a result of criticizing Trump daily— are going to be tempted to just keep criticizing Trump daily.
0: Do you, um, yes, I agree. Are you worried about the country? You, you know, you, you brought up the secession point, and yep. I was saying we may be more, I was borrowing, too, from a essay by Alan Gelzo, a professor at Gettysburg and at Princeton, who said we're maybe more divided now any time uh, that we have ever been except the Civil War. And I said that. I've said that on air. I've said that podcast and I've gotten several comments from thoughtful people who said we're actually more divided now. Um, civil war was a division about mostly one thing, one huge consequential and horrible thing, slavery, but it was about one thing. But otherwise there was a lot of agreement among Americans, North and South about God and family and the way to live your life. And, uh, you know, how to how to how to treat uh how to treat other countries and uh, you know what are the most important things in life and there's and that's and there's less of that now uh yeah. almost everybody agrees about slavery but not about anything else uh that to people in an awful lot of parts of the country um really all over the country maybe except for the major urban areas you know, they they really really don't want to be ruled by, it's not just AOC, but Schumer and Pelosi. I mean, I I think the divisions are deep, and I don't think secession will happen. But but, but I'm worried about, you know, real divisions that aren't going away. And I'm picking up on what you just said. People are going to continue to, you know, one instantiation of this is the election. I don't think people are going to stop believing that it was stolen. But will this manifest itself in other ways short of secession?
3: Yeah. Well, as far as secession is concerned, I mean, who's going to secede? I mean, is is it going to be done on a state-by-state basis? If you look at the election returns, not just for this year, but for many years going back, you look at them by county. You know, you see these intensely blue areas yeah, and these huge, yeah, geographically yeah, huge yeah, red areas. Yeah, yeah. They don't correspond with state lines. I know, they don't. You know, know. so uh, the, it's, uh, the, the, a sort of Civil War-style secession just seems to be and yeah. totally impossible. You, you, you know, you'll see people on the left, they'll they'll send around a, a map, they uh, where there's this huge sort of red interior of the country, which can see that could, it can be called Jesus Land, and then all the sophisticated people on the two coasts can have their country. I mean, it's just crazy, uh, you know.
0: Internet you can walk, I suppose, Explain to me, you can walk, and I understand even drive across the country and never step foot on Blue Land. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, you can.
3: Well, geographically, it's huge. Yeah. Although Al Franken used to always say, yeah, but a lot of that big red area, there's literally nobody there. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I there know. are large. I know. I mean, there's I know. large physical parts of the <laughs> United States that are uninhabited. I, I, but anyway, I know it. I, you um, know,
0: I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and the first time I went out west, I thought, holy smokes, there's nobody here. <laughs> nobody here! <laughs>
3: <laughs> nobody, is it? And there really is, in some places, nobody right. there. Right. Uh, okay, but the d- divisions you talk about are... Very real um, and very intense and I, I think one question is going to be, will they calm down some now? Uh, <clears throat> I think they'll calm down a little bit um, i um, it part of it depends on how aggressive uh, the left part leftward part of the democratic yeah, yeah, base
0: is yeah. say exactly uh, trying that
3: to to press. Uh, if you'll remember, um, you know, Barack Obama had a much more impressive victory in two thousand eight, uh, where everything sort of went his way when uh John I mean John McCain uh to describe what John McCain was going against as headwinds, we kind of <laughs> understated. understates. I, I remember I remember your article. I
0: remember your article when you talked yeah. about the headwinds. Yeah.
3: So um uh but but after that, um uh Obama wins the presidency. Um they have the House, and they have the Senate. They had won the House in two thousand and six, and they win everything so they 've got unified government and interestingly enough, because of uh the death of Ted Kennedy and the surprise election of scott brown as a as a um, as a senator and also uh, somebody defected who defected. Uh, all these things took place, and Democrats had 60 votes in the Senate for about 100 days. They made use of that. They cool. push and they push, and they get uh, Obamacare, although they don't kill the filibusters, so they have to yeah. craft Obamacare in a way, and they get 60, 60 votes for it, barely. So they got what they need to get over a filibuster. So it was still sort of done according to the rules in the Senate. I think what you see now is uh, if— Democrats had control of the Senate, even by a vote, you would see a number of them calling for, first, the elimination of the filibuster, which is the thing that has to happen for anything else to happen. Then the addition of of the District of Columbia, of Puerto Rico, as mm-hmm. states, the crazier ones want to divide California up into about five states and have, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. four of them be Democratic mm-hmm. for a, a net gain there, and uh, packing of the Supreme Court, you know, all those crazy stuff. Um some of them are very serious about that. So if they continue to push for that, then I think the divisions just get um, but they're not, worse.
0: They're not. I, I mean, I, I don't think they are. I, I've been saying already, look, there's already fissures in this Democrat party. Um, yeah. The socialist thing hasn't won. I mean, not yet. Maybe it will, but there no. seems to be real animosity. This cabinet is, you know, it's left, but it's not. It's not AOC left. It's not socialist left. It's mostly neutral no, you snow. No. No. And uh,
3: more exactly. I yeah, I remember being at an event in Iowa, I think it was, a Biden event. And you know, cause it's like Biden's just like dead in the water, right? And um yeah, yeah. John Kerry is there. Yeah. And Chris Dodd is there. Yeah. And uh gosh, somebody else is there uh from way, way back. And, you know, you just thought there's no way this geriatric group of Democrats is going to prevail in today's democratic party that was that was my politically brilliant assessment yeah yeah,
0: yeah.
3: and uh so so you're right, i mean the, the leadership here is from another era um but it's it's unclear to me how much strength some of these newer voices will have in this administration, yeah. I just don't know.
0: And then just a the last question. Georgia had that uh, uh, Republicans will win one seat, won't they?
3: Well, it sure seems like it. Yeah, um, they
0: would Probably wouldn't have left. I one mean, seat.
3: the president has been. And when the president went, he said, vote, vote, yeah. vote. Yeah. You got to yeah. vote. Yeah. And there was a huge sign behind the president that, that put up there by the campaign like, get your absentee ballot now. Yeah. And uh, and the president even referred to. Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood, not by name, but he said, you know, there's some people who were saying that, you know, just because you're upset and you want to protest, you shouldn't vote. He says, that's just that's the wrong thing to do. Don't do that. You've got to vote. Yeah. They, so they, the yeah. president delivers this message. Right. Right. And he'll probably do it again before January the 5th. Um, so, you know, unless Powell and Wood have success. In discouraging Republican voters, unless the president's allies here have to, you know, succeed in discouraging Republican voters, I would think they would win at least one of those seats.
0: Yeah, and so I've been saying. People say, "What do you think? Your expertise?" Is? I'm not an expert at all. Don't know half what you know. I've been yes. saying, "I think Republicans win one of those seats anyway." They control the Senate, which means that doesn't just mean numbers. I tell people it means the agenda, right? What what you're willing yeah. to bring up. And yep. of course confirmation of judges, which remains important. And if that's the case, even if they were hell bent on all the lefty socialist stuff against which Republicans ran, you're not gonna get it you're just not gonna get it through. And so I think as a result, a lot of the air will go out the hardest opposition. Yep. People will see, well, this is a kind of moderate left government that's not very efficacious.
3: Yeah. And also speaking from today, not knowing what's gonna happen in the future. You know, you have to think Republicans have a pretty good chance of winning the House yeah. in uh, 2022. Yeah. Uh, I did a long piece for the Examiner about um, uh, interviewing Kevin McCarthy and all the strategizing that he did to, uh, to nearly win this last yeah. uh, election yeah. of the House. And, boy, it, d- it did not happen by accident. It didn't just happen. He worked very hard, a bunch of really smart Republicans, got a lot of really good candidates. Uh, almost got there, and they may well get there
0: um, next time. By the way, are there enough Democrats of moderate hue that uh, there will be votes in which uh, 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 they won't follow the leadership? Yeah, I I I think that's possible. that, That is, they will defeat things brought up by the leadership.
3: Yeah, I think it's possible, although I think it's more possible that you'll see a situation like John Boehner had with the Freedom Caucus uh, back in, what was that, 2013 or so, um, in which you've got sort of the most committed people in your conference who are making demands of you, the Speaker, that will alienate some of the larger, more centrist group, and then you have to try to make people happy. And the, the smaller your minor, majority, the more difficult it is. And I think Democrats are going to, first of all, it requires 218 votes to pass something on a party line vote. And I think they're going to have 222 or 223. Yeah. But anyway, it's a really tiny, tiny yeah. ma- minority. And I mean, they just can't afford to lose anybody.
0: Yeah. And a number of these Democrats who've just been elected have already sent yeah. their message that we're not, we're not for this crazy stuff. Well, we'll see. It's going to be interesting, and you will guide us, and we will listen to you, as we always do. And, um, and thank you, Byron. What a year, huh? What a year. What's to what's come?
3: <laughs> no kidding. Well, listen, I, I always enjoy talking to you. Happy to do it any time, and uh, Merry Christmas to you and Mrs. Bennett and Claude and
0: everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Byron. Same to you. Okay, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to Show.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. Like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.